out. Of course, we don't have my slides up either for the message, do we? Well, you know, there is that. And, um, uh, you know, life is always interesting. This is good. This actually goes really good with the sermon and illustrations. You know how when you search for illustrations, God's like, here, I'll just give you some. So this will be good. There we go. All right, so... We're in Peter, and as I came to Peter, I'm, I'm preparing for this message, knowing that it's, it's Grad Sunday, and um, I, I looked at the passage, and I'm like, wow, well, that's, that's different. William Shakespeare said this or wrote this, I'm not sure if he actually ever said it, but he wrote this. He goes, what's in a name? That which we call a rose by any other name would smell just as sweet. We find that quote from the play Romeo and Juliet. How many of you have ever seen Romeo and Juliet? Okay, interesting. I haven't, but I know the quote. (laughs) And the quote is conveying that A name is really nothing more than a name. Or is it? This morning as we look at our passage, I want us to consider, is there something more to the name Christian? Join with me in 1 Peter. We're closing up chapter 4 this morning, beginning in verse 12. Peter, as he's writing this church that is going through difficult time, or these churches going through difficult times, he begins this way, beloved. Do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening, happening to you. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing, so that also at the revelation of his glory, you may rejoice with exaltation. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of the glory of our God rests on you. Make sure that none of you suffer as a murderer or thief or evildoer or troublesome meddler. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, he is not to be ashamed but is to glorify God in this name. For it is the time of judgment to begin with the household of God. Hmm. And if it begins with the household of God, and it begins with us first, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is with difficulty that the righteous is saved, what will become of the godless man and the sinner. Therefore, 
Those also who suffer according to the will of God shall entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. I read over this passage and I looked at it and I'm like, this is, is the passage I looked at the heading in my, my Bible, and, and headings are useful sometimes. Sometimes they're discouraging. Sometimes, honestly, they mislead you. But it read, sharing the sufferings of Christ. Yay! I, how do you come to a fun, exciting, celebratory weekend of graduates graduating and, and have that kind of a heading and passage that you're looking on? I love drawing some focus on our graduates and application to them in, on this Sunday in the message. And as I looked at that, I'm like, well, that's kind of a bummer. I mean, do you really want them to start this next stage talking about suffering? Yay, you're graduated, now suffering. A lot of adults are out there going, yeah, that's, that's pretty actually really good right there. That's, that, that nails it on the head. As, as, I, as I thought about this passage, as I read through it, as I pondered what, what Peter is conveying to us, though, I thought, man, what if? What if our graduates fully understood their identity in Christ? What if you and I, as their brothers and sisters in Christ, fully grasp who we were in Christ as we would face tests, trials, and, and learn to, to trust God through them? What would that look like? As I really considered that, I was like, wow, actually, this is kind of cool. I grew excited about sharing this, not only with our graduates, but, but with us. Because honestly, I mean, at graduation, they are encouraged with all sorts of wisdom and, and knowledge. And man, they will never be as smart as they are right now. But as we go through life, sometimes we forget about that, don't we? So as I look at this, I was, I was excited because... Truth is, I mean, there are certain things in life that are certain. For example, taxes. That's why Mark will always have a job. Taxes are always going to be there. Death. Death is, is, is in front of all of us, isn't it? Taxes and death are certain. Sorry to lump you in with that, Mark. But, <laughs> but as I thought about it, you know what else is certain? Trials. Suffering. Like, yeah, this isn't very encouraging, Pastor. You know, it's just a certain, though, that God has made a way for. Just as certain as death and taxes and trials and tests is the fact that you and I, with Christ, can face these things and rejoice. Think about that. 
You and I get to face everything else that the world faces with joy and rejoicing in our hearts and our lives. No smiles. You know, maybe we all do need this. We're going to look at at tests, trials, and, and our trust. And I'm going to spend very little time really on the trials and and suffering i think everybody's familiar with that aren't they rather i'm going to spend more of our time looking at our identity i think the truth of it is is many of us have forgotten our identity or we, we don't have a firm grasp on who we are. I, I love the, the fact that as Peter is, is beginning this portion, he reminds them from the very get-go of their identity. Did you see how he addressed them? He said, beloved. Beloved. What a reminder. To remind the church that is going through suffering and and hardships and trials that they are loved. This this word, when you look at it, it has the, the concept of being loved passionately. This is not a passing by and say, hey, I love you. All right, all right. You know, or the end of a phone call, love you, bye, click, you know. This is a passionate love. When when Peter calls them the beloved, he is letting them know that you are the object of God's affection. Think about that for a moment. The God of the universe, the one that can take our entire universe and just kind of measure it with the span of his hand, no big deal. The one that breathes out galaxies, The one that took time to form you. You are the object of his affection. I I love that concept. You are very near and dear to his heart. And Peter reminds them, in your suffering, I want you to remember who you are to God. The thing about Peter as he's writing this, he's like, oh, church, you're going to love this. You are beloved. And as Peter is writing that, he's like, listen, guys, I have seen the love of Jesus Christ firsthand. I watched him die on that cross. I watched him bear the sin of the world upon himself. I watched him conquer death for you and me. Oh, you can't even fathom that kind of love. Peter understood what it was to see the love in Jesus' eyes even in the midst of his failure. He had seen the hand of Jesus reach down and pull him out of the storm. He'd seen that love firsthand and Peter is going to declare it with everything he has. 
That day on the beach, as, as Jesus was asking Peter, Peter, do you love me? Oh, Jesus gave him three times, the wonderful times to say, yes, Lord, I love you. And Peter understands, guys, there is nothing that we could say or do to express or outdo his love. But Peter's going to live his life to demonstrate it because God demonstrated it so beautifully. I want you to consider this thought for just a moment. As a child of God, there is nothing, nada, that you can do to make God love you less. There is nothing that you can do to make him love you more. Let that sink in. Let that love sink in. This is the God that you and I come together to worship, to glorify, to honor. And Peter's reminded them, you are beloved. Think about the powerful way in which Jesus Christ demonstrated that love for you and I. And Peter wants to remind him, you're one that God loves deeply. I think there's some here this morning that need to hear that. Peter had a past. I guarantee there were those in those churches that had a past. But for those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ, we are called beloved. Beloved of God the Father. Let that sink in. As we come to our passage today, there is, is a term, another identifying term other than beloved. It's a title, it's, it's a name that, that we bear. It used to mean something. That, that title of Christian. Christian is, is one who should be identified as a, a believer in Jesus Christ. One who has placed their faith and trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ. And as such is now following faithfully Jesus Christ. That's a Christian. And I hope those of you listening today can identify as that. If that is, is a, a title, a, a designation that you can't, I want to pause right now and ask you to consider why not. You want to know how much he loved? It says God loved the world so much that he gave us his one and only son. Whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. I don't understand that kind of love. But he calls us into that relationship. And 
ironically, Christian is not the designation that Jesus gave to his followers. In fact, it's only used three times in the Bible. Did you know that? Christian's only used three times in the Bible. We see it first mentioned in Acts 11 at the church of Antioch, and they're there, and the people around them go, Oh, look, look at those Christians. Originally, it was a derogatory name, and I'm sure some of you are like, Oh, I can relate with that. You little Christ follower. Oh, those people who imitate Christ, those Christians. And they wore it as a badge of honor. That they, they would be identified as a distinct group of individuals that followed Jesus Christ. How cool is that? Wouldn't it be amazing if nobody understood the term Christian, but when they looked at your life, they're like, wow. There goes that Jed guy, that little Christian following Christ. Wouldn't that be awesome? If our lives were that distinct? Unfortunately, today, in our culture, in our nation, the term Christian means quite less. We use it to designate maybe a religious acting person. Oh, they're kind of religious. There must be a Christian. Oh, okay. Neat. We, we use it to define someone who believes in God. Well, which God? I mean, James had something to say about that. James said, whoop-de-doo. That's the Jed translation. He didn't... Uh, that's, <laughs> You know, whoop-de-doo, the demons believe in God. They even shudder. Careful of calling someone who just believes in God as a Christian. Ah, oh, but a person who goes to a building that we call a church. Church is not the building, by the way. I mean, my goodness. This building's falling apart. One day it'll be a... Torn to the ground. This isn't the church. This is a building at 755 Spencer Parkway. A tool that the church gets to use for the worship and glory of our God. But if you go to a building or a certain address, oh, you must be a Christian. Tonight, I'm going to go down to Wendy's with the youth group. Guess what? That doesn't make me a hamburger. Oh, but look at that person. Oh, they, they have that cross around their neck. They have a fish on their car. Oh, have you seen? They have a Bible in their home. It's even sitting on the coffee table. Front and center for everybody to see. They have religious symbols on the wall. You walk in, surely they're a Christian. That's called decoration. That's called apparel. Oh, the pastor, you don't understand. That person puts scripture on their Facebook page, their Instagram, their Twitter. Oh, they must be a Christian. I can put quotes by the president. doesn't mean I'm the president. We have lessened the title so much 
of Christian to these facades that are out there. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with any of those things. But if you are basing your salvation, your eternity, because you put scripture on Facebook, beware. Your identity is something much greater. It is an intimate, passionate relationship with Jesus Christ, who intimately and passionately died for your sin, was buried three days and rose again victorious. Why? So you and I could have life and life eternal with Him. Some of us think we're, we're suffering as a Christian. Peter's very clear there's things we should not suffer for. I, I love this, this verse. Look at verse 15 with me. I, I love this. Make sure that none of you suffers as a murderer. Any murderers in here? I'm glad you're not suffering that way. How many of you hate someone? Don't raise your hand. Uh, just, just, <laughs> that'd be awkward. Well, Christ says that's, that's like the, the act of murder. A thief. Any thieves? I've stolen from time from my employers before. I've taken away from my family what I should not have taken away that was rightfully theirs. Oh, there's many ways to steal, folks. Don't suffer that way. Or an evildoer. Wrongdoing. Getting a little more pointed here now. Oh. As a troublesome meddler. Isn't it interesting that God puts one who stirs up dissension and gossip and, and meddling and troublesome in the same categories he puts thieves and murderers? Don't suffer that way, church. Oh, but look at verse 14 and 16. If this defines you, then look, if you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of the glory of God rests on you. Look at verse 16. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, he is not to be ashamed, but is to glorify God in his name. This, this identity, this name as Christian, you are to glorify God in, in that title, in that designation. Oh, what a glory. What a wonderful thing. And he says, don't be ashamed about that. And you're going to suffer for it, but don't be ashamed. Why? Because the Spirit of God indwells within you. As a believer in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit of God comes to indwell, make his abode, his home in you. That's awesome. He says, glorify God with this name, Christian. There is so much to it. You are walking in the footsteps of Christ who also suffered. I love that sometimes in churches you hear messages that they're like, come to Christ and everything will be okay. Oh, they are lying. 
Jesus himself says, you follow me, you're, you're inviting trouble into your life. They hated me, they'll hate you. Surprise. Graduates, guess what? You follow Jesus Christ, you're going to face troubles. You're going to face suffering. But are we really bearing that name? Or is it more about the facade where we come on a Sunday morning and bear the name Christian? We say, oh, you're my brother, you're my sister. We love the idea of a church family, but we leave these doors and, well, we'll we don't really want to stick out. That rose, the aroma of that rose, the aroma of one who has a relationship with Jesus Christ living as a Christian, oh, that aroma is a beautiful, beautiful thing. But are you a true follower of Jesus Christ? I have to ask that this morning. You have to genuinely ask yourself that. Has it been easier just to give it lip service? Is that all you're giving to the name Christian? Or is there more? You ask, well, I want to. I want to bear that name Christian well. How, how do I go about doing this? Peter says there's a very significant way you can do this. He says, look, look, there's trials and testing. Isn't that great? Test and trials, graduates, adults, kids. Just because school's behind you, summer's here, Graduates, just because you're done with high school does not mean you are done with test. In fact, from here on out, most of your tests are going to be surprise exams. You, you won't see them coming. But did you see what, what Peter said in verse 12? Which comes upon you for your testing. These tests are for you and I. You're like, well, that stings. How can that be? These tests are to, to learn the nature and character of someone. Anyone who's lived long enough understands that testing truly produces what that person is. The hardships of life, the things we go through, will, will show who we are. To ourselves, and to those around us. It's interesting, we don't get tested so God goes, ah, that's what Jed's made of. 
Oh, he knows. But he's like, you know, Jed, you need to see what you're made of. Um, you're going to go through this. It's for my good. It's for your good. That he allows testing to come. Consider what James says. <clears throat> James says in James chapter 1, it's just a couple pages back. Verse 2, he says, Consider it all joy. Consider it all joy. Huh. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. First of all, I want you to notice some things there. Did you notice that James is addressing brothers and sisters in Christ, the beloved? Those that God loves, he allows testing to come. And you and I go through these tests with Christ. And this, it produces endurance. Endurance is when you stretch, you tear, you, you work on something. It's produced only by frequent use. If I want my legs to be able to be equipped for endurance, that means I have to consistently run, jog, walk, stretch those muscles. If you want to consistently be able to face those trials and sufferings with joy, you got to do it consistently. you got to go through testing. And it produces the endurance within the believer. I, I love that. But both Peter and James address that this testing, these trials, the, are to glorify God. And we glorify God by rejoicing, enter into these with joy. Really? How many of you here right now are going through a trial? Okay, those that raise your hand, keep them up for just a second for me. That's good. Keep them up. I want people to look around. Notice the people around you that have their hand up. I want you to pray for one of those people, okay? This week, just pray for them. You don't even need to know their trial. You know what? God's really good at knowing what our trials are. And if we go to him, he, he kind of has an idea. Pray for them. It's a weird response when the church enters into trials and suffering with joy. But that is exactly what God wants our response to be. You're like, how can that be? We're going to go through a shotgun approach of, of some verses here. Hebrews chapter 12 shows us how Jesus Christ himself did this. Hebrews 12, 2 says, fixing our eyes on Jesus. There we go. We have an example. The author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus himself understands suffering and trials 
and facing it with joy. Paul and Silas, oh, this is a fun one. They have been beaten wrongfully, mind you, but they have been beaten. They're, they're shackled up in prison, and this is what they do. Acts 16, 25. But about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God. And the prisoners were listening to him. Can you imagine being a prisoner in that cell that night going, man, these guys are weird. That's different. You don't see that every day in a prison cell. <sighs> Goes on. Did you know there were three men who actually went through an actual fiery ordeal, a fiery trial? We find them in Daniel. Oh, you know who we're talking about. Daniel chapter 3, I love these guys. This is an amazing example of just rejoicing in a fiery trial, even if it's fire. It says, but these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell into the midst of the furnace of the blazing fire, still tied up. By the way, they didn't really fall. They fell because the guys threw them into the furnace, Okay. It's not like they were hopping around tied up. They were thrown into the furnace, tied up. And it says, then Nebuchadnezzar, the king, was astounded. This isn't normal. And stood up in haste. He said to his high officials, was it not three men we cast bound into the midst of the fire? They replied to the king, certainly, O king. He said, look, I see four men loosed, and they're walking around in the midst of the fire without harm. And the appearance of the fourth is like the son of the gods. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the furnace of the blazing fire. He respond, uh, responded and said, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, come out, you servants of the Most High God, and come here. Then... Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the midst of the fire. I love the fact that you see these men walking in the fire with Jesus, and they're probably in there just singing praises. Here they see the very Son of God. And it's not until Nebuchadnezzar says, hey guys, you need to come out, that they even exit. Notice they're walking. They could have left the suffering. They could have left the fiery ordeal. They didn't do that until Nebuchadnezzar called. Why? Because they are in the midst with Jesus Christ himself. When you and I go through those fiery trials, we go through it with a Savior who can identify. Peter shares from personal experience as he tells him to do this. Peter in Acts chapter 5 verse 41 he and John have been whipped, beaten, flogged for declaring the name of Jesus Christ. They couldn't figure out anything else to do, so they let him go. Verse 41, so they went on their way from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer shame for his name. Peter's not saying, hey, church, you need to do this from a place not understanding. Saying it is worth it. 
And he had seen the suffering Jesus had gone through. And Peter, Paul, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, Jesus himself knew how to trust God. Trust God. Consider the focus that Peter challenges his readers and you and I to have. I'll share these two things in closing. He shares with them, we're going to suffer now. It's temporary. Our, Our suffering is temporary, but consider this, church, those who are lost in sin... I love how Peter's heart and and compassion is is for the church that's suffering, but his greater compassion is church, remember those in sin, those who are dealing out the suffering. Oh, consider their fate. You and I need to have a heart for the lost, not a bitterness. Not a vengeance, but a compassion. Because our suffering may be temporary, but theirs is eternal. Until they come into that relationship with Jesus Christ. And as we go through these sufferings, graduates, you will face suffering. It's not if, it's when. It's not once, it's consistent, and it will produce endurance in your walk, in your race. But through it, Peter says, trust God. Trust the God that made you, who formed you, who looks at you and calls you beloved, and passionately adores you. Peter says, he's faithful. Our God is faithful. He can be trusted. And church, he will never fail you. He will allow you to walk through that valley, but he will never fail you. Graduates, church, You and I can truly thrive and rejoice through the trials and testing. And we can do it all the more when we fully understand our identity. My prayer for those here this morning or listening is for each of us as we endure through it, but more so for those listening that may not have that identity, that ability to look and call God Abba Father, who have not received the free gift of salvation through Jesus Christ. If that's you this morning, there are certain things in life, taxes, Trials, suffering, and death. Our identity in Christ allows us to look 
forward with anticipation, understanding what Jesus Christ did offers eternal life. I'm going to close our time in prayer and then we'll watch the video before our closing song. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you once again that we as a church family can come together, celebrate accomplishments. God, that we can come and rejoice. There were many hands that, that were lifted of those going through trials and suffering. God, I am sure there were many other hands that were, were just too heavy to lift with the burdens of the heart and the soul. God, you know each one. I pray for, for those, those going through those hard times that you would, would lift them up. God, I pray that you would be with those who right now in their minds and hearts are struggling with, with the, the question of whether or not they want to place their faith in your Son, Jesus Christ. God, I pray that today would be that day. God, we, we praise you. You are worthy of our praise. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.